Hello, Oasis. We are back with episode six. I'm Emily, and I'm joined with Brennan and Ben. Yes, you are. I hurt my shoulder just today. Oh, I just did it. And I woke up like I felt like I was a million years old because I woke up probably five times last night and had to readjust because my shoulder hurt so bad. And I don't know what I did to it, but just given that. Yeah, I get it. Feels like it's a knot. Someone said, you got to go to the chiropractor. And I was like, but it's my muscle. Go. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like chiropractors do spine stuff. That's in my head. That's the narrative I've written. So then how can they help me with my... Anyways, this doesn't matter. Man, you went into it. I also woke up five times last night. Different reasons. Yeah, my children. (laughs) (laughs) It's real. All right. Well, we are back with episode six. And today's episode, if you're reading the title of it, is probably going to say this word, Lent. And you're probably like... Man. Did she misspell Lint? Yeah. But it's not a mistake. (laughs) It is on purpose. And (laughs) Lent is a season in which we practice certain spiritual disciplines and look at certain stories in the Bible just to remember what Jesus does as he journeys towards the cross. And so we have this thing. It's called the Christian year. And you have your seasons like Advent, Christmas, Easter. And Lent is one of these. And we take some time to just reflect on Jesus journeying towards the cross. So in Luke, we see the story of Jesus is now turning his face towards Jerusalem. And so everything after Luke 9 is on purpose that Jesus is getting one step closer to his death. And so when we look at what Lent is, this main definition is turning to God to see what he can do for us when we repent and turn to the grace he offers. And so as we kind of consider that definition, why is this an important discussion to have and for our own like spiritual life? That's good. I, part of it is, so I grew up in a tradition where it was like quasi like church calendar and quasi means kind of, it's like this balance of there were things they did like Lent or Advent. And then there were aspects of it that they didn't follow a church calendar. And that made it confusing for me because I'd never really understood. I think some people who really understand the church calendar start to appreciate it more. And part of this is why we're talking about Lent is because Lent is a season. And and when you have a church calendar built out, it makes sure that you hit everything in a year that you really need to talk Mm -hmm. about in faith. Right, Lent is such a key moment for us as Christians that we have to do it every single year because we need to be reminded of what's coming in Easter. And so the same thing is true of the rest of the Christian calendar. Like there's things intentionally chosen, whether it's Advent or one of the other ones, that help us to remember each and every year and make sure that we have that robustness to our Christian faith in our worship. That so there's there's tons of things to learn from Lent or Advent or any Christian holiday in in the calendar. Yeah, that's good. And even like the season in general, when done right with a healthy motive and an understanding, which takes a bit, there's teaching in that and there's got to be a humility to be able to receive well. Like, why do we do this? It can be incredibly just formative and redemptive. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about Lent being preparation for Easter. It's preparation and sacrifice and aspects of it. It's a recognition of I'm not just in Lent, like if you grew up high church uh, or in just traditional church, like Lent became a thing in tradition of like, I'm just going to give up this thing. Like for me, one year growing up, Catholic, like I gave up soda for, for 40 days. It's like, and you did it and I did it. And the day that I was able to have soda again, my dad bought me like four massive things of (laughs) Coca-Cola and I drank them all and was horribly sick. But in that, it's like, okay, well, I gave something up. That's just what Lent was. And then if you have an understanding, it's like, oh, I can actually, yes, there's an aspects of giving things up, but there's also aspects of how you define Lent, receiving well, receiving the grace and the things in which God has for us. Mm -hmm. And so it can be, yeah, just insanely redemptive and good for our soul. And part of the practice of 
having a conversation like this is to re-engage the why behind the season, right? Because either this is the first time you've ever heard of Lent, and if so, welcome to the conversation, right? We're going to be able to inform you on what this looks like. Otherwise, a lot of Christians have heard of Lent, but they their Lent practice has become disengaged for a motive or a really pure, mm. healthy desire for what Lent is. And so as we discuss and walk through this, we're going to give you not only, okay, this is what it is, but this is why it matters. And as you re-engage the why, then it will fuel what you're actually doing, whether it's giving something up, whether it's adding something in, whether it's just a turn. Like sometimes it's literally you just attend church more regularly during the season. Yeah. You know, like a lot of churches will do Wednesday Lent services or they'll do potlucks or they'll have different events throughout this four to six weeks, however long it tends to be, right, to be able to celebrate this holiday. And if you grew up like that, right, I remember the potluck suppers on Wednesday night. I didn't know why mm. we were there. I just knew I was getting free soup at church, and it was awesome. <laughs> but hopefully we can give you a little bit of clarity. It's good. So let's kind of start this conversation with the different stories and the progression of Lent. So our first mm. story here is the temptation of Jesus. And why is this kind of an important story for us? I mean, yeah, so we we move from temptation to Jesus all the way to the resurrection. But one, it's a recognition that in the temptation, Jesus, right before he gets thrown, led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, he is baptized, mm-hmm. and the heavens opened up during his baptism, and the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus. And in that, in being tempted, he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of Philippians 2, it says Jesus did not count uh, equality with God, some to be grasped. So he was God. It said, I'm not going to tap into that. I'm going to show humans and my people who I love what it looks like to live a life of holiness and, and a life in relationship with God empowered by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So he's baptized. Holy Spirit, like a dove falls on him, gets thrown into the desert by the Holy Spirit, literally is what the verbiage says, and is tempted for 40 days. And in that we see the power to be able to overcome temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit reliant on God when temptation comes. So that's one massive aspect of it. And then just a really practical one is like, Lent's 40 days. How long was Jesus in the in the desert for, being tempted? For 40 days. So we practice this idea of reliance on God in this season as we look back at the temptation of Jesus as he's in the desert. That's so good. And so some churches will take that temptation and they'll teach it in a sermon series. Yeah. Some churches might take that and they'll ask They'll they'll have reflective activities, right, where you might have Lenten stations where you walk through some of the temptations of Jesus. There's all of these different practices, but it really comes back to this idea of Jesus is our high priest who's able to relate with our temptation. When he started his ministry, yes, there was identity, yet right on the other side of that identity is is, is struggle. And as humans— there's probably nothing we can relate more to more than struggle. Yeah. We we know that deeply, and so does Jesus, and he can empathize because he's walked through it. Yep. And so we start this journey of Lent knowing Jesus understands. Yeah. He gets us, and not only that, but for the next 40 days, everything we'll experience and pray through, he has experienced and he has overcome. Yeah. We cling to that. I think I think it's the Catholic Church who calls this 40-day season of Lent a holy season of self-denial. And in that, it's, again, coming back to, like, oh, Jesus was able to reject devil's temptation, as are we, which makes it a holy season empowered by the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and and part of that is it's not suffering for the sake of suffering. Yeah, not at all. And th- but that's that's yeah, again sure, that's, that's good, right? I'm giving up soda because I know that's going to be hard for me. Yep. I'm giving up swearing. Yep. I'm I'm, I'm going to actually read my Bible. Like we we add in things and we're like it's going to be hard and I want it mm-hmm. to test me and I, but it's it's suffering for the sake of Reliance sanctification. Yeah. It's suffering for the sake of transformation. It's su- suffering so that we might. Step into what Jesus said. It, there's a purpose to the suffering. We don't just engage yeah. in hardship solely just, because yeah. it's hard. That That is totally missing That's the good. point of what is the temptation of Jesus and what is Lent. 
So when we look at the season of Lent, it's really like wrestling with this question of the brokenness in myself, the brokenness I see in others, and the brokenness I see in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's so incredibly beautiful that this season starts with the temptation of Jesus, of saying Jesus has the power, no matter how grieved we are, Jesus has the power for us like to overcome any brokenness through him. And so I think that's incredibly important that we start the season knowing that no matter how we feel, Jesus is eternally victorious. And this kind of moves us into the second part, which is once we understand that through Jesus, we have the power to deny sin, we actually have to deny sin and we have to repent for the ways that we failed. Mm-hmm. Repent, the scary church word. It's so good. It is a good word, but it, it has such heavy connotation. When most people hear it, it's just like, it's like the gun went off, right? Like there's this back coil of, of it. Maybe it's not physical, but it's this emotional for people who I think grew up in church that that word is intimidating. But what do we mean when we talk about repentance and the call to deny sin? Yeah, I mean, what is it? Metanoia, something like that is the Greek don't, word. Don't and question li- Which literally means to turn. I can't even pronounce English words. So. <laughs> <laughs> which literally means to turn. I think, and and I've heard this, and I think, I don't remember if you mentioned it Sunday night or not. Uh, but the idea of repentance, I think what has happened is we've taken that, and based off how it's been talked about in church, whether it's a pastor or a, a leader or a friend, mm-hmm. it's we've had this idea of repentance being like, you have to feel just really bad for your sin mm-hmm. and sit in that feeling and then allow God to, yes, you need forgiveness and stuff. Where that's remorse, yeah, which is an aspect of repentance. Repentance is saying it's not just, I don't want to do that again or I feel really bad for doing this and living like this. Repentance is saying, no, I'm actually going to fully turn and not do that anymore and turn to a lie and run toward you, Jesus. Yep. And that's what it means. So when it says to turn, it's like I'm literally, I'm committing now to change my life. So good. Not, not in my own power. have to be relying on the Holy Spirit in it. And repentance, it starts in conviction. Yeah. And conviction is this word of emotion, and it can feel very similar to, like, guilt, right? There is this feeling in us, and some will call it your conscience, right? We would say it's the Spirit, right? There's this feeling in that this is not right. And that conviction can feel really heavy. But repentance doesn't stop in conviction. It leads us to transformation. And between those two ideas is the bridge of grace. Mm. That's how those things, like, it's not effort. It's not will. It's not power. It's not gifting. When you feel that conviction, you run back to the Father. You run to Jesus who has all authority to help you to overcome, and he leads you gracefully into transformation. So a lot of our information today is coming from a guy named Robert Weber, and he's just a scholar on worship. And he used this word when talking about this this type of repentance and this call to deny sin, and it shocked me. And the word was phoniness. And he's talking and saying, when we come to this this season of Lent, we are called to come to terms with our own phoniness and the mm. way that we have failed like to follow Jesus. And we see this really clearly in the story of Nicodemus when Jesus is asking Nicodemus to not just read the words in the Bible, but to actually see them in action. Mm-hmm. How do you guys think that this like plays out in our own life? The Nicodemus story? Yeah. Oh, man. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Nicodemus is one who, right, like... There is an emotional level to Nicodemus's story that I deeply connect with. And I don't even know if I have words to fully mm. articulate why that is. There's just something about when I read his life account and how close he was to, I mean, you just, okay, just, just, just to wind it, like this guy is a, he's a leader in the Jewish movement. Yeah. He's not just a guy in the, like he, he's a pillar. People are looking up to him, yet he knows there's something about Jesus mm. 
And so he comes to Jesus when? In the middle of the night. Right. And so there's even phoniness there, right? Like I'm That's I'm good. willing to come and to seek and to find and I want to know what this Jesus guy has to say, but I won't do it in the broadness of day where my coworkers and, and colleagues can see me, but I will do it in the secret of the night where it protects my own phoniness, where it protects my image. And so he goes there and they have this incredible dialogue where Jesus tells him he must be born again and Nicodemus is like skirt, like what? <laughs> right. Though that's Brennan's language. But like you have Nic- no idea what you just said. Nicodemus <laughs> just doesn't understand, which is fair, because Jesus is teaching him these ideas that he doesn't he doesn't know, but he should. And that's the frustrating part for Jesus. He 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 sees what Nicodemus knows in the law, and he's a scholar. He spent his whole life, yet he doesn't understand the basic principle of what it means to be in the kingdom of mm. God. And Jesus invites him into that. And yet Nicodemus wrestles. He's trying to figure it out. Will I actually repent? Will I turn from what I've built? Right? Legacy, family, status, power, influence. Will I turn from all that? Be born again and step into the realness of what Jesus has called me to. And uh yeah, you can go read the rest of the story <laughs> for yourself, but it's it's powerful. That's good. Um I mean, one of my favorite verses is Mark one fifteen. It I think it's Jesus' mission statement a little bit. Mm. He says, The time has come. Therefore, like recognize the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. And Oswald Chambers says that the entrance into the kingdom is through the banging pains of repentance crashing into a man's respectable goodness. Mm. So man thinks he is good. Man has this thought of phoniness that I am good. And then he goes on to say that's the Holy Spirit who produces those agonies. So repentance. So so the entrance into the kingdom, into relationship with Jesus, starts where the Holy Spirit in conviction bangs up against our phoniness and gives us this agony, this conviction to help us recognize that I actually need to recognize a part of repentance is, oh, I'm not as good as I think. And that's okay because there's still the invitation. And then we'll get to all that. But yeah. And there's another story. Emily, why don't you run with that one? Yeah. So Nicodemus is John chapter three, but then you flip the page and you get to John chapter four and it's the story of the woman at the well. And she's trying to get some water and Jesus is there and they're having a conversation and she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah that's promised Mm -hmm. to come. And in this conversation, you see that she is a Samaritan and Samaritans had thoughts and beliefs about what worship looked like that were a lot different than what the Jews did. And Jesus said, look, a time is coming when you will get to worship in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus is showing us here is that, yes, we are broken. We have sin in our life. But when we turn and repent, a time is coming when the spirit is going to restore mm-hmm. us and to, to usher in. This kind of goes to our next process today of healing and conversion. Yeah, there's another quote that you made me think of. It's Dane Ortland, And he says, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, so but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. <laughs> like the, that's the, the word collapse. Yeah, it's just this honest, and I think that's evident in both of those stories, right? Whether you're talking about Nicodemus or the woman at the well, that they the the difference between the two of them is was one willing to collapse into what God had actually spoken was true, and one was clinging tightly to their facade of phoniness or image or status, mm. and that's oof. It literally is paper thin between the kingdom oh, yeah. between those two. Yeah. It's like, am I willing or am I trying to work and earn my salvation or am I just coming to God as I am mm-hmm. and allowing him to do that in me? Yeah. Why don't you keep us going? Yeah. So we're, we're hearing the story about healing and conversion. 
And this is a point where we have to turn towards the grace of Christ. And our story for this is the prodigal son. And I love this story because I think when we examine the prodigal son, it's so easy for us to like kind of align ourselves with the son. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times as Christians, we need to look at the other characters in the story <laughs> and yeah. see who we are yeah. and see, am, Hey, am I allowing this other person to turn and repent and to like, to be in the mm. kingdom of God as well? Mm. Yeah. This season of Lent as an invitation, not just to those who know Jesus, but to beyond that. Right. Like I think of the Christers. Right. If you don't know that term, it's Christmas, Easter Christian. It's mm-hmm. people who show up twice a year. Right. What an invitation that is yeah. during the Lent season where right. those people are probably coming. And as Christians who maybe come consistently, we know they're coming yet not to begrudgingly open our doors, but to welcomingly open our arms to say, come. Right. We are excited that you are here in yep. this season, even if you just showed up for Wednesday yeah. soup. Right. Come be a part of what God is doing here and trust that God in his grace and in his timing and in his sovereignty will do what only he can do. Yeah, that's good. I think, especially if you grew up in high church and in traditional church and we say high church, it's, it's the classic, very traditional Methodist services. It's a little Catholic, it's Lutheran that have great history and tradition and the way that they set these up, if you really listen to how they do their Ash Wednesday services, how they really talk through their Friday night services, there's something really beautiful about the invitation into the grace of Christ in the midst of recognizing our own sin about it. And I think there's more, I think, at least in stories I've seen, like when I am open in my own life or people, friends that I have, when I'm open to the Spirit's movement, for me to receive healing, to be to turn back to the grace of Jesus, especially in the midst of Lent, I experience the power of God and His presence more during the Lenten season pre-Easter yeah. than I do on Easter sometimes. And some of that is starts with so the prodigal son. There's a moment where he's sitting in the pit, and and literally the verse says, "And when he finally came to his senses, yeah, and it's the Holy Spirit's work in that when I'm humble enough and low enough mm-hmm. to." allow or at least recognize the spirits moving and working like I come to my sense and then realize how much of the grace of God I need. Mm-hmm. And that happens more for me sometimes in the Ash Wednesday services and in those in the before Easter moments of recognizing how much I need him. Yeah. And the question I'm going to ask you is if you don't remember it, that's fine. But there was a couple of years ago. I remember I showed up. I don't remember if it was Ash Wednesday or Monday, Thursday. Okay. But you walked out of the great room at the church and you were just like, just ball, just ball for sure. Do you remember that moment? hundred percent. Well, what was that? Oh, it like, was like it was a and, common, and for so yes. many people. It's yep. Yep. Ash Wednesday, and like <laughs> yeah. it, it has this power, but we Monday don't Thursday. always. Okay, it was yep. Monday Thursday, yep. but like still the Lenten season. Yes. So Monday Thursday would be the Thursday before Easter. Yes. But like in that, we 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 don't always know what to do with these mm-hmm. moments, yep. right? We feel oftentimes that they're different. Yeah, but like, what was it in that one that you remember? Yep. If you if you guys uh, are in Brookings and decide and are coming to a Grace Point service and ever come on the first Sunday of the month, and you want to see tears uh i have almost never not cried during communion and and monday thursday it's it's emphasized around right the celebrating the, the body and blood the last supper yeah. yeah and it's a combination of insane gratefulness and thankfulness for the death of jesus on our behalf because of our sin knowing the resurrection's coming and therefore is a defeated sin and death with the combination of how many people in my life I know who don't know Jesus mm-hmm. and who have not experienced that grace mm-hmm. or have a recognition understanding of the weight in which the death of Jesus like means for humanity yeah. 
And so it's those two combined always. So like I'm bawling almost every time I take communion because I can't help but not go back to the very first night I came to Oasis when I gave my life to Jesus in 2006 and had this recognition of Jesus's death and resurrection and what that meant for me and to be able to be in relationship with God and seen as a child of God, not because of anything I've done. So like, and, and some is like a recognition of, oh, I've been forgiven for all the garbage I've done, not deserved. Like that's crazy. And even there, you're describing what is so unique about the lens. It's not it's not unique, but it's it's more paramount. It's it's closer to the surface, right? When we were chatting before this, when you look at the church calendar, obviously the two we've highlighted most are Lent and Advent. And Advent has this season of like great anticipation. It's the it's waiting for the coming of Jesus. He's coming as a baby, and it's almost all joy, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's yeah, when you celebrate, it's peace, it's yeah. love, it's hope, yeah. it's joy. There's excitement. When you do Lent, it's like Ash Wednesday, it's from dust you came into dust you return. And then you get to the Last Supper, and it's like, one of you will betray me. And then you get to Good Friday, and it's like, I don't know how your church does Good Friday, but we do the service of shadows here, and it's heavy. And so it's just so different, but yet there is always this, there has to always be this silver lining of what Jesus is doing. Mm. From the temptation to the garden to the cross to the empty tomb, yeah. there is always hope and there's always beauty. And you describe it, right? Like you have this this heartbrokenness for those that don't know that grace, yet this rejoicing yeah. that you do and Jesus would do that for you. Yep. And that's that's Lent. I think that's our last story of like we start with temptation and how Jesus is victorious. We move to repentance and, and healing. And our last story is the foretaste of Easter, like that little silver lining of when Jesus goes um, to raise Lazarus. But I think what's so beautiful in this story for me is that Jesus doesn't walk into the village and raise Lazarus. He doesn't raise Lazarus from miles and miles away. Jesus walks into the village, allows Lazarus's sisters to complain and to call him out for not being <laughs> there, then grieves with a community of people and then brings healing and restoration. And I think that this is such a beautiful image for Lent because it's the invitation for us and the incomplete in the places where Mm -hmm. we need God to show up in our own lives and in our own brokenness to sit and to know that he's grieving with us. But then on Easter, like celebrating the fact that he has come, he has overcome sin and he is working in our life. And that which he did for Lazarus, that which he did in his own flesh, that which he will do for us. Yeah, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So real quick here, that's kind of our our stories and themes for Lent. But how do we practically live this out in a way that's, that's healthy, that's helpful, and that really connects us into what Jesus is walking towards in this season. Mm-hmm. The, the the two biggest ideas that we'll kick around, and it's really a balance of both, is there's a heavy emphasis on maybe giving something up, especially in some communities. And then there's also an emphasis of what does it look like to pick something up, to add something in. And really, and we'll, we'll throw out different ideas here. To me, it's a balance of both. Because oftentimes our lives are chock full. Like we're doing everything that we can yeah. do. And so for something to get added in, something else must die. And the Lent season should be this beautiful time of reflection to start and say, God, what in my life needs to go so that I can create space to add something in that can glorify you? And anytime you add something in, right, you should be building habits and patterns and structures and accountability to support you in that. And if you do Lent right, it doesn't end in 40 days, right? If you add in a good practice and you experience the blessing of God in that, what could that do for your whole year? Yeah. Like New Year's resolutions are great. Let's talk about Lent 
life like changing an entire year. If you get into the word for 40 days in a row, man, that will change your 2024. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think there's even like really small practices we can do too. I had a professor that said, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And I think that's a great attitude to have towards Lent of saying, I'm going to say yes to something that's good and helpful and just good for me. And with that, I'm actually saying no to something else. So maybe I'm going to say yes to drinking a gallon of water every single day. And because I'm saying yes to that, maybe I'm actually drinking less soda or coffee. And I think there's simple things like that where, yes, we can like turn to the word and to prayer and to spiritual disciplines, but we can also turn to the things that are good for our body and our mind and our soul. Yeah, we're holistic people. That's great. So then what are some of the things we might encourage people as they're looking to drop slash pick up what are like ideas, spiritual disciplines, different things you've practiced or done. We can talk about the the four main disciplines in the Lenten season that I've emphasized for hundreds of years are fasting, prayer, almsgiving, and then study. And so the idea of fasting is what we've talked about. It's kind of, if you're giving something up, it's simple what it means to turn away from our sin. So there's an aspect like, yes, I'm giving something up, but you're not just giving something up to give something up. It's I'm giving up something in this season and in the moments where I want to have that thing. I'm going to God say, hey, God, let me be relying on you and not on that thing anymore. So it's like, all right, so we enter into fasting. That's one thing for sure. Yeah. And then prayer, for sure. If yeah. there's a season where we can lean into heavier prayer, Lent would be a great one just to be reminded. And so there's a million ways to pray, right? There, are, The ways you can pray are endless. Pray in a way that you're actually going to pray. Yeah. Right, find yourself a structure, find yourself a system, whether it's a daily prayer rhythm, whether it's uh, an app to help you, whether it's a friend that you pray together with. What, what does it look like for you to add in prayer in which you will step into the presence of God, that you would turn to God, that you would invite him not only into the struggles of your life, but to give gratitude, to give him recognition, to give him the glory that he's due, to pray for others. Like it's Prayer can be, it, it should be, I mean, yeah. Paul writes, it's never ending. It's yeah. ceaseless. I, I think Prayer is the hinge between fasting and uh, almsgiving. A thousand percent. So, so fasting yeah. is saying no to yes. sin. It's yep. saying and, and rejecting ourselves of that. Yep. And almsgiving is what we're taking on in place of that. Yep. But prayer is what connects them together. Yes. Prayer is what gives us the power through the through the spirit to say no. But prayer is also what reminds us of why we're actually taking on what we're taking on. Well, and in prayer you receive. Yeah. And and that which you receive, grace, mercy, love, and almsgiving, which is literally the definition of that, is to give charity to another person. I then go in prayer. I've received. Now I give that which God has given me. It's ins- it's crazy. Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. And there's one last one. It's study. Just studying, man. Uh, engage your mind. Literally, just pursue the things of Jesus. There's something we talked mind. about. Image of God last week, mm-hmm. and part of that is just being intellectual beings. And so God has invited you into an intellectual relationship with him. Study, know Jesus, know his story, know his temptation, know his victory. Walk through the scriptures. And so if this is for you, right, if you're overwhelmed by the Bible, invite someone else to study with you. If you need a devotional to help give you context, if you need a study Bible, this is a season where it's like, what does it look like for you to study? Yeah. Ask yourself those questions and then put in put in place ways you can make that happen. And the beautiful thing, going going back to the Christian calendar, and, and what Brennan said is right. Man, if we could put into place a discipline, a thing, and which helps us connect to Jesus better and more and help in that relationship and have that last throughout the year, awesome. We're forgetful people. For sure. Right? We fall short all the time. The beauty of the Christian calendar is what you said in the beginning. It reminds us of the things in which God desires for us to press into. So in this Lenten season... Maybe yeah, I haven't been fasting or praying or giving charity or studying. It's like yeah. it's a reminder to, hey, I'm going to step back into this. Mm-hmm. And this is a season for this now. 
And I'm going to make it a priority. How many of us January 1 had great ambitions, right? And I hope you've set up spiritual goals or or spiritual just practices Mm -hmm. for the year. And then you got now to, what are we going to be, mid-February? You're six weeks in and you're like, ooh, shoot. Six weeks? Right? That wouldn't be in three weeks in? February 14th. Oh, February. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm way off. Like, you get six weeks into the year and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember I I was going to read my Bible, right? Or like, I was going to like try fasting. I was going to, right? Let it be a rededication moment. That's good. And then see what God will do with that. Well, hey, we are super excited to see what you guys um, decide to practice during the season of Lent and just how God is faithful in that and how he continues to provide. So we will catch you guys next week with another podcast. Yep. See you then. See ya.